0: blood brothers and sanguine sisters to deeply discussing dexter i'm your host dale maxfield i'm joined by aaron caldwell hello brooke merritt hello and zach roland and today we are talking about season one episode eight shrink wrap um, this is a fairly complicated episode there's a lot of different storylines going on um, we've got the return of tony goodwin who uh directed uh, a couple episodes ago and is back directing this episode and starring as uh the psychiatrist so this one starts out with dexter and angel uh looking at some blood spatter and they're like finding shapes in it like they're doing abstract cloud stuff and angel asks him, why do you always see crustaceans in blood and dexter says i like seafood that's how this one starts. Um, the bloods from a woman who appears to have committed suicide with a gun. But Dexter thinks women are more likely to use pills or cut themselves. So he is thinking that it might be a, a murder that was staged. Uh, Dokes interviews the husband, ensuring that they will look into it. Um, so this is the start of this, uh, this storyline with, with Dexter and the doctor. Um, what did you guys think of this episode overall?
1: I thought it was a good one. I thought it was a little bit of a departure from what it's been doing. Kind of went back into the you know the killer of the week kind of thing, and a little bit gorier than than usual. I thought. Okay. Yeah, at
2: first I uh, thought I this was a, a forgettable episode I, when it when it first started, and like probably a third of the way through, I was like. Uh, um, just not that invested I guess even with the, the new these new murders and stuff but uh, as the show progressed as this episode progressed uh, I got more and more interested uh, and then I, I didn't realize you know that we had the same director that we talked about earlier in one of the earlier episodes that had done one of the better episodes thus far uh, but like they didn't seem tonally the same I guess in my opinion um, like they just or I get I, it tonally but like memorably.
3: I thought this episode was really solid Um, it really moved forward the character relationships in a lot of ways Um, not so much in the search for the ice truck killer but the relationship between Dexter and Rita I thought took a huge step forward in this
1: episode yeah Yeah, I think this one really kind of opened up a lot more insight into Dexter with kind of, you know, the, the psychiatrist as a catalyst to more exploration of who Dexter is and how he became who he is.
0: Yeah, I think this episode is, it's almost a template for a lot of future seasons because his relationship with the doctor where he knows the doctor's dirty secret and he's using it to his advantage is something that he does with a lot of people in future seasons, and they build whole seasons around that. So you can almost see Dr. Goodwin or Dr. Meridian uh, being like a season-long antagonist for Dexter that he's pretending to be a patient of for the first half, and then the Doctor finds out he's playing a game with him, and they go after each other, and Dexter eventually wins. Like That's sort of how some of the future seasons play out. Um, and it, you get a little piece of it here. I remember when I first watched this episode, um, when I was first getting in the Dexter. I thought that, uh, you know, spoilers for later on in the episode. But I thought them killing Doctor Meridian in this episode was a mistake because I thought it was really a great uh, addition to the show. But he was just a, you know, just here for this one-off thing, and um, I'm sure Tony, Tony, uh, whatever, Goldwyn had other stuff to do. Um, and then on the eyestruck killer side uh, of the episode, it's mainly a laguerta focused episode, which we don't get very often. Um, so that's kind of a memorable thing there as well. Yeah, I feel
2: like the, this episode, like I said, it, it got better as it went along. For some reason, it just didn't grab my attention right away. Um, but, uh, you know, and obviously now that we're discussing it, I'm, I'm finding myself being like, oh, yeah, I guess there were those those elements to it. Um and I only I watched it maybe like a day or two ago so it wasn't that far removed but yeah there is just a, so I just feel so betrayed by Tony what's his name uh from like <laughs> being like oh well he he directed one of the greatest episodes of the season so far and th- to me it should be this should be equally as good but for some reason I'm just it just like did not stick with me
3: okay so when They're talking about crustaceans at the beginning, it didn't interest you at all. I mean, come on. (laughs) Dude,
1: that hooked me right in. Yeah.
3: Like, when when he says he sees crustaceans in the blood, I'm like, oh my god, me too, let's do this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We could have just made a whole episode around that game.
3: (laughs) I
2: I was disappointed in the lack of uh, techno music uh, at the moment, so I guess,
0: (laughs) you know. This isn't the wet nap, there's not (laughs) always going to be techno music going. No. There that's just be.
1: disappointing. <laughs> there should always be techno music.
0: So then Dexter's looking into other suicides of powerful women, thinking there might be a pattern. Um, look, Gluerta comes to him asking for some information, and she's flirting with Dexter again.
1: Yeah, I was real happy that was brought back. Yeah, thanks for that.
0: I feel like this is, the, this is probably about the end of that
1: before and it came back but I hope you're right was there a painful flirting I,
3: or, or I'm sorry the wink the wink uh, there, was there was some, well, that, some that's no that's episode one I know yeah. but like I, I don't remember I, I guess the the flirting didn't come across to me because like I did not even <laughs> remember them flirting in this scene Maybe I tuned it out from trauma or something. I don't know. And rightfully so, because it's
1: bad.
0: Uh, Dexter figures out that all the suicides were seeing the same therapist, which is the Dr. Meridian character. Uh, Dexter goes in to see him under an assumed name, pretends to be the grieving friend of the latest suicide. The doctor's really good at turning Dexter's deflections back on him, and Dexter starts answering questions honestly with lies of omission. Uh, there's a flashback where Dexter attacks Harry in the house it's the first time he's done it successfully he's basically, Harry's like training him to attack people or how to like sneak up on people and so, yeah, Harry, poor Harry like gets up for a midnight snack and Dexter like chokes him out um, and then he's angry with Dexter because Dexter's like elated that he finally did it it's like it's not a game, this is how you survive
1: but he's totally cool with that happening just randomly in the middle of the night. That's not a problem. That's I'm okay with this. Yeah. But, yeah.
2: Okay. Also, uh, Harry's a cop. So, like, my, I don't know. I guess maybe he's not that great of a cop if his own son can take him out like that and he's, like, not ready for it, you know? Right. I don't know. I mean, I get the training, but at the same time, I thought it was funny that, like, like, damn, I don't know. Most cops probably would have just shot <laughs>
0: Well, he puts him into a hold super quickly, and I think that's why it's the first time he actually gets Harry down. Because um, as we've seen in a prior flashback that happened later chronologically, I think, uh, he couldn't quite handle evil Denise Crosby right away, <laughs> um, but he did handle Harry right away in this one flashback. So,
3: Well, also in this scene, uh, Harry... Harry doesn't seem to be getting around very well, so this might be the start of his sickness.
0: It's possible. So.
1: Or maybe Dexter waited until he, after he was sick when he was weak, and that's when he overtook him.
0: Possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what a dick.
1: Okay. Yeah, I got you this time.
0: How's that chemo going, old man? I would be
2: super impressed if they really kept the continuity of the flashbacks consistent. Because it just seems like sometimes you you don't yeah you don't know what timeline what part of the timeline they belong in but yeah that'd be great Aaron if they really did if they focus in and be like well remember this actually comes before Harry gets sick which is when he meets the nurse that he can't quite handle you know like it's well, like
0: it, is, it it is chronologically different because the Dexter in the taking him out flashback is played by that teenage character and mm-hmm. Dexter versus Denise Crosby is Dexter in the emo wig it's Michael C Hall in the emo wig. Oh, the so that is a later yeah. incarnation of, the, of Dexter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good, good for them. Um, Dexter goes and interviews one of Meridian's other patients. He says, I'm a sociopath. There's no hope for me, which he says the other guy takes it as a joke. But Dexter is, of course, serious. Um, Dexter tells Meridian he thinks he's a fake. There's a flashback to Dexter getting bullied and then telling Harry that even though he, wa- that even though he wanted to fight back, he walked away. But he still wants to kill them. Uh, Then Dexter breaks into Meridian's office, he finds the hidden camera contents, deletes all the videos of himself, and then starts to look at the uh, women who committed suicide and finds out that the therapist was essentially talking them all into using guns to kill themselves after pulling them off of addictive drugs, which is like a super cowardly way to kill people.
2: Yeah, so does that make him not necessarily, uh, you know, like... Obviously, guilty of the the murders of these patients. Because I mean, if he's just coercing them into it, as opposed to actually pulling the trigger, I mean, what what is that in a court of law?
0: It's first degree murder. If if he's uh, if he's supplying them with an addictive substance and acting as their therapist, who's supposed to be in their uh, in their corners, their 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 helper, their their uh, I forget what the word is. He's supposed to be on their side, and uh, for him to take them off of medication and not give them some sort of a, uh, a way to handle the depression around that, and then to actively say, you know, the easiest way out is, is to shoot yourself with a gun, and it's, uh, you know, some cultures consider it an honorable thing to do. Like, he, he's very much telling them to commit suicide and giving them uh, physical reasons to want a way out of what they're going through. They're all miserable.
1: Yeah, I kind of went through, does this really fit into the code, and how does this really fit into the code? Now, I know... To answer Zach's question, there was just a notable case a couple years ago. I don't remember what state, but there was a teenage girl who convinced her boyfriend to commit suicide, and they had all these texts about it, and um, she actually was charged. Yeah, it's a really well-known case. So, you know, that's what I thought of when I was questioning whether or not this really fits into the code, and is this, yeah, he's encouraging it, but he's not, as you
0: said, pulling the trigger, but... Yeah, I mean, if you're... if if you're a therapist in dealing with a patient in crisis and you have you've taken an oath to do no harm and you tell them to shoot themselves with a gun if that helps them feel better and that's that's a you know a honorable way to do it in some societies then yeah you are you're committing murder
1: not saying i condone it <laughs> not saying i'm okay <laughs> with that but it just feels a little shaky as far as dexter's code
3: Yeah, it's it's one of those things, it's like, yeah, he's taking advantage, but then you're getting into the ethics of assisted suicide.
0: But this isn't assisted suicide. They're not willing participants in the suicide.
3: I feel like they are. No,
0: it's not the same (laughs) thing at all. You don't get somebody hooked on drugs and then say, can I help you kill yourself?
3: i didn't think he got them hooked on drugs he did I thought he got them off drugs no he
0: their- took them off of their meds mm-hmm. he took them off of their psych meds and they were miserable like he took them off of he they were begging him for more uh prescriptions and he wouldn't give it to them and you can't do that with psych meds you can't just cut them off cold turkey like that yeah, i mean people will lose their shit
3: I misunderstood that I thought that he had got them off of their meds and
0: no that's why Dexter decides he's he's worth killing
3: that makes it more cut and dry
1: and I'm not saying the guy didn't deserve to die either it's just still one of those kind of it's not as cut and dry I guess
2: I think uh, Brooke makes a really good point, though, but with Dexter and Harry's code, because by the end of the episode, I did find myself asking that question of being like, well, you know, yes, he did intentionally, you know, in a court of law, maybe he's found guilty of murder of these women, even though he didn't actually murder them. But, you know, he didn't. I don't know. With Dexter, it's like he's focused more on like the actual physical act of murder. And this is another thing. So now, yeah. Dexter is manipulating his, the code a little bit based
0: upon circumstances. Well, Dexter's, Dexter's second question or second law is, does this person deserve to die? And to that, to that level of, of the rule, he does. Um, mm-hmm. He also falls into the category of people that will escape justice because the cops are not going to put together that he orchestrated these women killing themselves and he did it just for fun.
1: This is where I started to overanalyze it a little bit because then I was thinking, but what if on some level, Meridian is doing kind of what Dexter's doing? We know there are these prosecutors. What if they had these shady dealings with these cases that kind of, maybe he in his mind was doing the same kind of thing, which I know I'm way overthinking. This is going too in-depth, but that entered my yeah. mind too.
0: I, I think that's a possibility. Um, I also think it's interesting that there's, Um, the first time that he goes into the office uh, Meridian hypnotizes him and that's what sends him into those flashbacks and obviously the way that he does the hypnotism is totally bogus and is suspect in and of itself um, that he just like without really explaining what's going to happen he turns the lights out and starts walking him through hypnosis Um, but it's telling later in the episode when Dexter kills him that he never lets him speak at the end of the show so it's like he's not going to let him try to hypnotize him or talk himself out of it. Dexter knows better. He knows this guy is dangerous. He ends up going back after uh, Meridian's advice helps him with Rita and tells him that, you know, the stuff is going on. And Meridian says everyone has a big bad wolf and that he has to let his own out every once in a while to take a big meal. Uh, <laughs> they do the, Dex- the uh, hypnosis thing and... It flashes back to Dexter being stopped by Harry from retaliating against the bully. Uh, it also shows him as a boy in the blood container. And then... Uh... Dexter tells Meridian he's a serial killer. Then he reveals that he copied Meridian's files. Meridian tries to end the session, but Dexter chokes him out, and that's when he wakes up on the table. Dexter says, I'm gonna laugh to let you go. And, uh... There's a J-cut, which means the audio starts before we see it, but, uh... Deb is singing Eric Carmen's Turn the Radio Up as Dexter Kills Meridian. But yeah, I, I I found it really uh really telling that this character, this really intelligent character that they set up in this character that I actually thought would be a great longer term antagonist for the show, doesn't isn't allowed to speak in his death scene, which is odd for the show. They usually give that person some last conversation with Dexter, Dexter has some last, you know, you know, well, that's not going to work sort of speech with them. Uh, But he's he's not going to mess with a guy who can hypnotize him.
1: Yeah, I didn't even really catch that, but you're right. And the guy who knew how to um, get Dexter to open up and who Dexter was actually in an odd way able to connect with, of course he doesn't want him to talk because you know, he's just, who knows what he's going to get out of him in addition to the risk of being unwillingly hypnotized again, so good catch, didn't even think about that.
3: To the point that uh, Dale mentioned earlier about Dr. Meridian being a coward in the way that he kills these women, he is also one of the very first people that you see on Dexter's table that just is completely shaken by the experience. Like normally they're angry or they're like, you know, just accepting, but he was like shaken, completely terrified.
0: Yeah, he's not a he's not a hands on killer. Yeah. Right? He he kills from his his office one hour a week. So
1: Yeah, I noticed that as well. There's a lot more terror than what we typically see.
0: Yeah. I really like Tony Goodwin in this <laughs> or I wish he could have been in more stuff, but...
1: You can always watch him in Scandal, but it's not quite the same.
0: <laughs> I've seen some of Scandal. I don't, didn't care for it very much. Yeah. I didn't get very far into it. Um, maybe a season or so. And started rotating around and around. Uh, So then there's the Deb and Rudy uh, storyline. Deb and Rudy pull up to the crime scene, and Deb says, I so want to molly right now, and Rudy says, I so want you to. And... Then Dev walks up to the uh, front of the crime scene and she is not wanting to talk to Masuka about who she pulled up with and she says, I want to go inside right now, I'm so wet. Don't. Because Masuka's already starting to make the joke. Yeah, Masuka's on
2: top of it whenever it comes to, uh, you know, just really putting his foot in his mouth. Um, But yeah, good, good on her, you know? enough. And she has she's got uh, she's got the doctor now. So that's it's like a nice change of pace for Deb. You know, she seems happy, she's spunky, she's not flighty or insecure. It's good.
0: Yeah, and that comes into play in the next scene where there's a scene that starts with Deb and Rudy that sounds like kind of frightening at first cuz you just hear they're having sex, but it sounds almost like Deb's being choked out or something the way they they're they're playing with you, like what in what you're expecting the scene to turn into and it turns into the sex scene. Um, Deb gets emotional and says, Every time I've been naked with someone we just fuck. Rudy says, but not this time. It feels like making love, and Deb says, You, yes, you promise me you'll never say that again. Um So she's in a relationship that for once feels like something that she really cares about. What do people call it? <laughs>
2: What do these kids call it now? he this? just say making not, fuck.
0: Not making <laughs> fuck.
2: <laughs> 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 I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess making. You know, making. I, I get the 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 sincerity of the scene, um, but I think it's funny. You know, just like this concept of like making love, La passion. Um, <laughs> I just, it's just say, like <laughs> I just say the
0: sex. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to have the sex?
1: <laughs> That's better than the making love. I'll, I'll say that. It's, it's I just, way better. I expected Deb to just kind of slug him for that, but <laughs> Ew. disappointed in her.
3: You can't ever say let's make love or making love without sounding hokey and fake. Like, dear God, you're just unless your name's Marvin
0: crazy. Gay, you're you're just not going to pull it off. That's fair. That's yeah, fair.
3: you're instantly like, into it. In. Away. He took it away. from everybody. Yeah, That like, yeah, seems like one of those say that.
2: Uh, one of those corny sex ed videos where you're like, now you're into the act of making love.
3: <laughs> it's, it's reefer madness. It's like now you see these kids are high on the reefer and making
0: love. <laughs> pre marital love-laking? Love-laking? Love-making. Okay. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Deb comes (laughs) to visit Rudy, who holds up a prosthetic arm, and says, Don't come any closer. I'm armed. Mm. Rudy has a patient that lost both both legs. Deb says, Like your mom. Rudy wants to take a cast and give the patient (laughs) Deb's legs.
1: Ever so tactful, by the way. Like your mom. Okay, just... (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> it's the ultimate comeback to every statement
1: oh yeah like your mom <laughs> not quite in this context it's a little different
0: yeah. <laughs> like your mom <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible they have a hot leg lubricating scene Deb asks if she can make a cast of his cock um
1: <laughs> still all about the love making Deb
0: sure Deb says something to Rudy about how she won't tell the other cops about him because the relationship matters to her, and she if she went if it went away she'd be losing something, which he kind of c- consoles her about. And then the next time you see her in Miami Metro, she says, uh, "I've been with my boyfriend. We just fucked in his office, and we're having dinner."
3: So proud. <laughs> like she's really grown as a person. Like, the dinner makes it all okay.
0: Yeah, I'm
2: just glad that they're cops and not teachers, because then that <laughs> might be a whole nother situation where, you know, Deb just can't keep her mouth shut, and she just walked into a room full of students, and it's like, what is happening?
1: <laughs> you can't do that in all workplaces, that's true. You're kind no. of restricted on that kind of pronouncement. Yeah. It would have been hilarious if
3: this goes back a couple episodes where that one kid in the in the junkyard is there talking to the sketch artist and she comes in and says that and he starts crying.
0: Uh, Rudy calls. Dub wants him to come over, but he has to finish some details. Dub says, I never knew you were so anal. Rudy says, yes, and I'm a neat freak too. The uh, show reveals the headless doll next to Rudy's computer, revealing that Rudy is the ice truck killer. He responds to Dexter's ad, Barbie Beach patient. One day we'll share a cold one, and then he walks into a giant refrigerated room. As soon as they see, as soon as the camera shows the doll, uh, the blood theme starts playing. And that's our, now the audience knows that he's the killer, and the rest of the people on the show do not. Deb knows how to pick him. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I think she was picked by him,
2: you know? Oh, yeah. Because, obviously, it's like this, you know... The, what I want to say... Yeah, there's two things about that. The first thing is, it's finally the... Uh, now that we know he's the ice truck killer, we finally get to hit, see him have sex with one of the hookers. Because, I mean, Deb technically was a
0: hooker. was a hooker.
2: <laughs> and he probably saw her with other hookers or whores or whatever they were calling themselves. Um, so, good, good for Rudy. He finally got one uh, that he likes. Uh, and then, second... I think it was more about uh, where he
0: left evidence... <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know, he was leaving evidence with his with his bodies but go on
2: <laughs> yeah no can we break down the re- the response message um the uh, sure. be patient someday we'll have a cold one like what do you guys feel like that means cause I, I mean I have kind of an idea like what each part of it means also Dexter's message was very specific too in the way that it was coded you know
0: uh yeah he says uh, uh something about why'd you give me the cold shoulder it's He's basically inferring uh, the whole ice truck thing and the frozen bodies thing. Rudy's response is, one day we'll share a cold one, which to me means, you don't know it yet, but one day we'll have a kill together. Well, Mm.
3: it's a double meaning, because obviously it's something you would say to a friend of yours, like, hey, let's get a beer, let's get a cold one, and then let's share a kill as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, I got that. Also, I it's the connection to the the way that he freezes the bodies. Um, you know, just like sort of like layering on metaphor. The other one that I thought was interesting was that he says, "Be patient," because he's a doctor, and mm. so like it's almost like he's laying a clue into the message without even really intent intending to. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely think that the the. Sharing a cold one is a direct reference to his method of killing and that he wants to do that with Dexter. Mm -hmm.
3: So I had a problem with this reveal.
0: Really? I think it's so great.
3: (laughs) Well, it's more, it didn't make sense to me in that in his apartment, he has an industrial freezer where he can kill people. But for some reason, at one point, he felt the need to get an ice truck and kill people using that.
0: No, that's not necessarily true. All that we know is that he used the ice truck to move bodies and place bodies before. Mm. And he hasn't placed an ice truck bot. He hasn't placed a body since they got caught the ice truck.
3: That's true.
0: That's all that's all the ice truck was for is for transportation with that part of it he's got Dexter on the hook that's all he cares about so no I, I love the reveal um, I immediately uh, started reevaluating what I thought about Rudy because um, up until that point I thought he was just kind of a they were just introducing him as a love interest for Deb and that he was a he was a pretty decent character and he seemed like um, a pretty stable. Boyfriend for Deb and all of that. And the reveal just instantly throws all that into question. You're like, what is this guy's deal? Um and and why is he doing this with Deb specifically? You know, it, it is about him. He does know who Dexter is, and he does know who Deb is, and he's this is all stuff he's doing on purpose.
2: Yeah, I feel like he's almost better at uh playing fake than Dexter is.
0: Mm-hmm
1: he is he's more social with it and more um, makes more attempts to draw people to him than Dexter like he's you know he knew Deb was a target for him he knew exactly what he needed to be what he needed to say to pull her in. not like it takes a lot with Deb let's be honest but you know he knows just what to say you know to everybody he encounters
0: this this is the episode where Dexter finally successfully has sex with a woman and it doesn't end the relationship. Meanwhile, Rudy has just easily gotten Deb in his bed and turned her into his girlfriend.
1: Well, you know, she says, I've never felt this way before, but then we go back to when she had that one date with the the guy in one of the early episodes, and then she was really crazy about him too. But somehow, Rudy knows how to play Deb exactly like he needs to.
0: Yeah, and well she was very high school in that episode too. It was just very like kissy kissy kind of stuff instead of her saying things like I don't wanna talk to my friends about this because if I lose you then I feel like I lost something where everybody else was just kind of a kind of fun for her and she doesn't care if people know about it.
1: Are you saying lip syncing Eric Carmen songs into a trophy is high school? <laughs>
0: Uh, I was I was saying the opposite actually, but not mention it. You, you're absolutely right. Um, there may be more to this hot dog stand than I first thought.
2: Yeah, man, I was waiting for a moment to drop that hot dog stand, but you
3: got it. <laughs> this this scene was really good for people that were fans of the book as well, because this episode really it took a huge turn from the book in the reveal of who the Ice Truck Killer was. Mm -hmm. Um, You still don't know at this point what his connection to Dexter is or what his obsession with Dexter is. But in the book who the killer is is it's not revealed up until the very end. And you you still got three episodes left.
0: Right, and that makes more sense in a show that we as the audience have more time to get to know the antagonist, whereas in a book if they give it away, you know, 120 pages before the end of the book, and the protagonist doesn't know it, has doesn't figure it out until 100 pages later, it's kind of a, a slog.
3: Yeah, I'm just saying, like, as, as a fan of the book, the original book, um, this it, it floored me i was like oh wow i wasn't expecting it so early mm-hmm. and, and so I, it, it worked on a bunch of different levels
0: well yeah and when we get to the when we get to episode nine especially it's super important that we have that information before episode nine because there's a whole bunch of double meanings that we can read into things now that we know that information true yeah i i
2: like that the reveal comes a little early on in the episode in the season in this episode um i mean i don't have a problem with knowing who the villain is up front especially when we've put we've been shrouded in mystery this whole time um but it kind of like reminds me of it you know, like a lot of like some of those, like shakespeare's plays where they would have like the you know you would know right away who the who the person is that's gonna be uh the horrible person throughout this entire play and then see how they utilize, or, you know, in this show, how they're utilizing steps or tactics to uh, get, the, get what they want. And so now, now that we know who Rudy is, now we can finally get into, as opposed to being, like, guessing about the Ice Truck Killer, we get to see the Ice Truck Killer uh, getting what they want.
0: Yeah, it's like the difference between Sherlock Holmes and Columbo. Columbo, you always know who the killer is. It's a question of how he's going to catch the killer versus... the killer, you know, identifying the killer and that's the end of the story. Um, Mm. But they've also waited two-thirds of the season to do it, so it's not like we know immediately. Um, And they're really careful about keeping that secret for two-thirds of the episodes, only bringing it out in the last 30 seconds or so of this last uh, of the eighth episode. And then we have four left, the last third of the the season um, to watch how Rudy and Dexter play it out from here.
1: Yeah, I think they picked a good point to drop that in, like you said, so we can see kind of the cat and mouse. Now that we know, we can see how Dexter processes and how he figures it out and kind of watch the missed cues and what, what, what he's missing that Rudy is doing and kind of analyze it that way. I think this was the perfect spot and also good for fans of the book who were following after reading it because then you get a little kind of a surprise there by getting it a little sooner too.
0: Yeah, and it also helps explain why uh, why they couldn't keep Doctor Meridian on beyond this show because um, it, it would have just gotten too messy. There'd been too much going on.
3: It was also super refreshing because, gosh, I think the last two, maybe three episodes, the Ice Strike Killer has been a non-entity.
0: Yep. So. Yeah, he's just kind of happening in the background,
3: unless you consider the Neil Perry stuff.
0: Yeah yeah i mean well that's where the investigation is for those episodes um and this one this is the this is the end of the perry storyline but um but first let's talk about rita um dexter goes to rita's where paul is having a supervised visit paul says to him what are you supposed to say to the guy who's effing your wife while you're in jail i almost called this this section rita and paul because there's a lot of her dealing with him um and that spills into the next episode as well but uh Later, he shows up at a playground unsupervised. He guilts Rita into spending time together with the kids. Um, Dexter gets what seems like a worried text from Rita, but when he arrives, she kisses him. Rita's realized how easy it would be to fall into her old life with Paul, but she feels like she's in control with Dexter. Um, Dexter, his inner monologue says, this is a disaster, I chose Rita because she's damaged. If she gets better, I'll lose her for sure. And Rita basically strips down and tells him she wants him to spend the night, Dexter, begs off and says, I thought something was wrong, I need to go back to work, and he leaves. And he says to the, uh, uh, in the monologue, every time I have sex with a woman, she sees me for what I am, empty.
3: That's actually a a pretty good line, because I think in an earlier, earlier episode we talked about the, has Dexter been intimate with a woman before?
0: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the answer is no.
3: Well, I mean this would insinuate otherwise
0: oh yeah I guess you're right that makes sense
3: yeah right
0: because he's
2: saying basically that like he's had sex before and they see him as empty so it, you know we don't know how many times necessarily but yeah it does seem like he's had a, a, a tryst or two sure yeah I think uh, you know this the whole um, Paul thing is interesting because it's, it's a it's a a little bit of a different angle for a show to take on the whole deadbeat dad situation. You know, like hes it seems like he's trying, or he—you know—he's obviously very manipulative, and he's trying to put his put himself into the kids' lives. But uh, we do see those moments where he does show his true colors, where he's mean to Rita, uh, or, you know, and does those things. Um, but like it, you know, most of the time, if it's a deadbeat dad, it's a deadbeat dad. So uh, adding this little extra conflict it's like uh, multiple layers of conflict for dexter in terms of this relationship that he doesn't necessarily even want it just makes him look normal but he still puts up with it it's you know it's it's really
0: leveled that dexter puts up with Paul
2: yeah because like he doesn't really have to he doesn't really want this this relationship is just to look normal right yeah. So, and if Paul's giving him attitude and problems and stuff, and I think Dexter might have even said that in an earlier episode where he's like, I could just walk away. This isn't my fight or something like, you know, like something like that. But he chooses to stay because, I mean, like he says he's emotionless, but I think he does have some sense of feeling for Rita in, in,
0: in the minutest way, but definitely there's something there. Yeah. I don't think he's aware of it yet. I think this, this episode is kind of where he finds that. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, in the next scene, actually, is where he kind of finds that he can actually connect with a woman sexually and not have her not have it blow up in his face, basically.
3: a good A good portion of this episode has to do with Dexter and his ability to connect with people, and you you kind of feel like he has this breakthrough talking with the doctor over it and. And you get that through the scenes he has with Rita. But it's actually mentioned in the very first scene when he talks to Batista about the blood, splat- blood spatter.
0: Uh-huh.
3: He says that he sees a crustacean and Batista says that uh, Rorschach would say he has trouble connecting with people.
0: Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> so, so the entire answer to the episode is right there in the opening seconds.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and speaking of Paul, I mean, he is, you know, he's obviously, he's been part of Rita and the kids' family for a long time. He knows how to play the kids off of Rita. He knows how to play Rita herself. He knows what she wants to hear. He's very good at manipulating um, her into doing what he wants, unless he's drunk, and then he just can't, he can't quite stop being an asshole long enough to to trick her into what he wants. Well,
1: and the thing is, does he really want to spend time with the kids or is it just a power thing again? I don't even know that it's really about him having a relationship with the kids. I think it's just him wanting to be in control and holding that control over Rita.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think that's part of it. I also think that, like, him alone in a hotel room as an ex-con, like, I think he gets pretty depressed about that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what leads to the drinking and him showing up and um you know causing the confrontations and stuff like that uh I think that if he were if he if he really were serious about getting back together with them in a healthy way that he would you know follow her rules and and do what she needs him to do and that you know honestly at this point you know read Rita, is telling dexter that she sees it's easy for her to fall back into her old ways, but she's realizing, too, that, you know, Paul is trying to take control from her. And if uh, if she doesn't have Dexter there, then Paul gets her back. Um, if if he followed the rules, even, and didn't show that, that ugly side again, if he was better about that, uh, he could easily get... Rita and the kids back uh, through through guilt trips and manipulation and everything else just by uh, just by following the rules a little bit better. Dexter goes to Rita's and pretty much immediately screws her up against a wall. Um, he starts to look away, but Rita says, no, stay with me. And they finally have real intimate sex, which love is... Make they it. make love. No, they I said love. it right. <laughs> real intimate okay. sex, please. Um... Dexter's caught sneaking out, but Rita misinterprets it as him saving the kids from the explanation. He's surprised that Rita wants her to be a next time. And Rita says, "There's nothing you could ever do that would scare me away." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a um, bet. That's that's sort of the end of their uh their arc for this this episode. But yeah, I think that's that's the uh, that's the gift that Doctor Meridian gives him is the ability to finally. To finally commit and uh, have intimate sex with Rita.
1: The intimate sex. Love making. Intimate the sex. <laughs> La Pession.
2: I mean, the, the tables have essentially turned because, you know, Deb used to be the one who'd just get naked and fuck. Uh, and now it's like she wants that love making with the doctor. And then Dexter is like. I don't care if you're wearing clothes or not. I'm going to pin you up against this door and we're just going to have a good time having intimate sex. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 fun. It's funny to see this is a very sexual episode, everyone. And, uh, and it's fun to see how they really play out these characters desires, these sexual um, things that are happening to them, you know, or whatever it is, even with the the
0: psychiatrist too, the therapist, it's like, even that guy's got some shit going on, you know. Well, it, you know, do you like the intimate sex? Because uh, the the <laughs> doctor too, he is uh, the rapist. So there you go. Yeah, I will have one intimate sex, please, <laughs> just one. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so. That just leaves the Ice Truck Killer, um, which, oddly in this episode, with everything else that's going on, it's it's LaGuardia's uh, role in this episode, is to keep the Ice Truck Killer story going, and it's uh, basically figuring out that Perry is not the Ice Truck Killer. Dexter tells LaGuardia it won't stick, Perry's not the Ice Truck Killer. Dexter idly worries that the Ice Truck Killer might end up getting blamed on Perry and cause the Ice Truck Killer himself to disappear. He doesn't want that. Um, LaGuerta does an interview with Perry and starts poking holes in his confession. He says he wants a reporter there to hear, uh, to access, have access to him in return for helping her more. And then uh, LaGuerta does another interview. Perry tells her how she got promoted, uh, telling her she was in the right place at the right time on a case with Dokes, which he, he could only know if Dokes had told him or if he'd cracked into the firewall, which turns out to be uh, what happened and then uh, uh, Laguerta comes back and in probably the weirdest moment of the episode she shows up with a severed head and basically uses it to bully the guy into cracking that it wasn't him because he can't handle looking at the dead person, the the cuts, the uh the head, um, which I guarantee, there's no way that she had any kind of uh, authority to do that.
2: But, which is why uh, she yeah. lies to Matthews. In interesting matters. television. Yeah, uh, that's kind of funny though, because I mean that that does seem very extreme. But uh, that I think that uh, I just watched another show where an FBI agent uses um, evidence from a crime scene to incite a confession. As well from from a, a suspect, and so I, I wonder if it if that is a real tactic that they are capable of using to some degree.
0: A severed head is a pretty extreme degree. Evidence, yes. Body parts, no. <laughs> um, if she had shown him pictures, um, that would that would be legitimate. But we also, as an audience, probably wouldn't buy that that was enough to make him queasy by itself. Because we have Mm -hmm. all seen crime scene photos, and they're not that terrifying to look at. But I would imagine like her holding that head inches away from his face while he's cuffed to the table and unable to get away is uh, a pretty scary thing to have happen to you.
1: But we know she doesn't have a whole lot of scruples either, so how far would she go? Because going back, he he knew how to find her weakness when she was interrogating him. He knew to go for her ego by talking about how she got her position and that really made her feel threatened. So, it fits in with her character that she would go that extreme, extreme and go steal a head from somewhere and bring it in. Not, not that that's probably a typical tap, tactic in real life, but it really fit because he pissed her off because he, he attacked her ego and her confidence.
0: Mm-hmm. He admits that it wasn't him to LaGuerta. She tries to tell Matthews that Perry lied, and the DA and Matthews still want to push on, and LaGuerta's like, okay, that's fine if you want. Well, you know, I'll support you. Meanwhile, she's fully aware that it's going to tank, and she said her piece, so politically she's covered.
2: Yeah, has... Uh, oh, I think it's funny, though, how they... Uh, sorry, uh, has... Uh, but um, they ever... Uh, has there ever really been like a, uh, that instance... Where somebody's been influenced to uh, recount their their confession, like I think that's what she was pointing out to them, right is that she's like he's going back, and they're like, "But if everybody went back on their confessions, then we would our jails would be empty
0: and well, like, yeah, it's, <laughs> th- what they're saying is that if everyone that ever confessed to something recanted their confession before trial uh, was telling the truth, then they would never put anyone through trial um they're saying that he's 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 making excuses and trying to get out of being prosecuted for it yeah i
2: just think it's funny that she's like trying purposefully she knows she knows the truth obviously but she's really fighting for this this hat to happen and even they're going to move forward to it and even she knows it's just like you don't see that happening too often where they're like no, no no i know better but let's just go ahead and see how this plays out <laughs>
1: Well, and like they said, I like how they said, you know, well, he confessed and then he recanted, which is the lie.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, they, they don't have any faith in LaGuerta's information. They, they think that they caught the right guy, and whatever he's telling her now is just, you know, they don't, they don't trust her to be right about it.
3: Well, also, after the... Uh the Night Watchmen debacle. Mm Mm-hmm. The the force is probably on notice. So this blowing up in their face would be just the worst.
0: Well, they made it. Matthews already screwed it up because LaGuerta's the one that screwed up saying that Tucci was the the ice truck killer. Now, Matthews has gone out and said that Perry's the ice truck killer and LaGuerta knows that he's going to get He's gonna get his ass kicked for doing that. And so, as long as she as long as she said to him, you know, I know this isn't the right guy, but I'll back what your play is, you know, I'll back what back up what you want to do, you're my boss, then you know, he's got enough rope to hang himself. So Tony Goldwyn, who played Dr. Meridian was the director of the episode, he was also previously in the movie Ghost, He's on directed several episodes of the L-word. Uh, on Dexter, he directed four total episodes two in season one, two in season two. And after Dexter, he was a director and lead actor on Scandal, playing Fitzgerald Fitzgrant. Uh, the writer was Lauren Gussis, who wrote one episode and appears uncredited in six episodes of Smallville. For Dexter, she wrote or co wrote 12 episodes across all eight seasons. She was promoted several times, starting off as a staff writer in season one and ending up as a supervising producer in season five. And after Dexter, she worked as the executive producer for a show called Insatiable, which I believe is going to uh, premiere on Netflix this year, twenty eighteen. So, um, what are your, uh, what do you guys think for best line of the episode? Uh, I have uh,
2: for my best line uh, when uh, Meridian says, uh, "I made friends with it," when he's referring to his his, his wolf. wolf. Yeah, yeah, and and I let it out to feed every once in a while. Uh, or, uh, that so that one, or just when Dexter straight up blurts out, I'm a serial killer.
3: <laughs> I like the I'm a
0: serial killer one. That's awesome, too. I'm being, like, really immature and laughing about his wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
2: again, one of those ones where you could go either way, where you could feel like it's the best or worst. Uh huh.
1: Yeah, I'm i a sociopath, there's no hope for me. Also, I'm a serial killer. His delivery of I'm a serial killer was great, too. It was a tie for me. Yep.
0: Yeah, and just that that like noise he makes after he's like, I'm a serial killer. Oh, that feels so good.
1: <laughs> that may have been one of my favorite scenes so far. He was so good in that scene. <laughs> it was perfect. How
0: about the worst line of the episode?
3: Any joke that Rudy made... <laughs> Good God! The, I'm armed. I'm armed. That was so terrible.
1: I almost yeah. shut the
3: episode off.
1: I also had a Rudy <laughs> line when they're making out in the car, and he says, "There's a hot body in here."
0: Uh huh. Mm.
3: Or uh-huh. the the you're. I never knew you were so anal. I'm a neat. Yes, freak
0: and I'm too. a neat freak too.
3: Yeah. Oh God.
2: So basically, worst line is Rudy. Just, it's just Rudy. <laughs> just Rudy. I, 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 uh, I, I stuck with Masuka this time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I went with uh, what were you doing in there? Playing hide the salami with Doctor Prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: that's, is pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I mean, the funny thing is
0: about... that, like, on a Masuka scale, that doesn't even register for me. <laughs> sure. But yes. Of course, he said that. Like. <laughs> You could have tortured me for hours asking what Masuka's line from the show was, and I would have never come up with that. But yeah, I 100% believe you that that's in this episode.
3: This is two straight episodes where Zach has mentioned some sort of deli
1: meat.
0: (laughs) All about it. (laughs) How about the performance of the episode?
1: Michael C. Hall.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Brooke and say Michael C. Hall.
3: (laughs) It would have to be Michael C. Hall or... Rudy, maybe I don't
0: know. I would give it to Tony Goldwyn. I really like Doctor mm. Rudy a lot. Yeah, he's good in this
2: episode. He definitely helps to carry the episode. And I mean, I guess I didn't even realize it till after when you know Dale, when you brought it up the fact that you know he was he was in it and he directed it. That's a that's a bit of a challenge for people that do stuff like that. So to to play that well into it and also direct a good episode like that is as well is tough. So
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he must've, they must have been happy with him because, I mean, he's directing the episode where we find out who the ice truck killer is.
1: Hmm. Michael C. Hall was just so good in that scene where he tells him he's a serial killer. That was hard to pass up. And I think my thing with Meridian, he was such a great character, but Tony Goldwyn, I've seen him in so many things, and he's the same in everything I see him as. It's the only thing that gave Michael C. Hall the edge for me.
3: Fair enough. That scene where Michael C. Hall is like right after the uh, hypnosis scene where he takes off running, and it's assumed, I guess, that he runs all the way to Rita's. (laughs) (laughs) Because it just shows him running away and then running down the street, and then he's at Rita's. They didn't mention that she lives next door to to the office.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Her apartment's right (laughs) next door. They left that part out.
3: Reed opens the door, and he's like, surprise, motherfucker.
2: Yeah, and he's just been running with a heart on the entire
0: way.
3: (laughs) He almost passed out.
1: All because of a big bad wolf. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That was a challenging maneuver. Uh, (laughs) I think that's about it for this episode. Uh, Thanks, you guys, for doing the podcast with me. Thanks everybody out there who's listening. Uh, We will see you again soon on Deeply Discussing Dexter. Bye-bye.